breaks the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is a failing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you would lay down your life that I may be All that you've done for me <laughs> what a test one two check should we do use that other microphone
Go get that other. Can we? Can you hear me now? Yeah. We'll, get, we'll get louder. There we go. Well, the announcement that I wanted to make to you is that uh, we are having a memorial service this Tuesday. Uh, Joni McKee's husband, Kenny, passed away. He's in glory now, and so we're just believing God for them. But we are having a memorial service that will be at 10 o'clock on Tuesday right here at the church. So just mark that down. Also, I just wanted to say, you know, the announcements, they're, they're getting pretty good at those announcements, aren't they? They just got some new equipment, and uh, I'm crackling really bad. Test, how's that? Can you hear that? We'll try this. Is that better? How's that? Yeah, that's fine. You can hear me okay. Well, they got a new piece of equipment that allows them to take a camera and it stays level and doesn't shake. And so that's why they did that walk around. Plus, Mike and Brandy got a brand new house and I don't know, they wanted to show it off, I guess. Hallelujah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're blessed. Amen. Amen. I just want to say, first of all, before we get into our message, how much I love this church and appreciate you. You guys are so good. You, you, uh, this is by far, head and shoulders, m above everyone else, my favorite church. Amen. And, it's be and, and you know what? It's because of you people. Um, this is a church that uh, knows how to love and is continuing to learn how to love. And, and you know, we're not perfect. I'm not going to say we're perfect. We have our flaws and we have our difficult days. But you know what? We, we're falling forward. And, you know, it's funny. I remember Pastor Pennington used to always say, he would get up and he would say uh, things like, uh, he goes, I can't, I can't uh, even understand why you would come back and listen to me preach. And I never really understood that until now. And, it, <laughs> and it's like, you know what? I look around the room and I go, my goodness, Lord, you are doing such a great thing. And I just am so glad that you're here. And there's another person that I'm glad that is here George Stone is back. Amen, George. Yeah. Hallelujah. We've been praying for George, and God's doing a great work in George. He's here today, and we're so glad that he's here. We, we love you, George, and we're glad that you're back home. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We'll get to that here in just a moment. And you know, it's an interesting thing. I, I was telling the first service that the process of studying this series of messages has been so rich for me. It's, it's been extremely encouraging and uplifting and stirring <coughs> because I believe the, the, uh, the subject of worship is a, is a subject that I think oftentimes gets uh, left aside. I don't think that we ignore it, but what I think we do is we make a lot of assumptions about it. And so what we do is we end up making it more about taste, more about opinion than about what the Word of God says. And I've had the opportunity in the last several weeks, last month that we've been doing this, to go over a lot of different material. I've looked at a lot of different sermons and, 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 and studied a lot of notes from different guys and, and going through that. And, and it amazes me the, the, the passion that some of these guys have about worship. Uh, some of the men and women that are great men and women of God and, and the passion that they have for worship. But the thing that really moved my heart was that all of these people, when, when, through their study, their lifelong study of worship, they've all come to the same conclusion. And that's this, is that worship 
is the highest ultimate priority of man. And, 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 I, and you know, when you understand that, when you, when you come to understand that worship is the, it is the wellspring, it is the, it is the headwaters, if you will, it's the source. Uh, obviously, we know God's the source, but that dynamic of worship, that, that entering into giving glory to God and, and worshiping him throughout the whole of our life, that is what we are called to do. That's why we were put on the planet. Can you say amen? And out of all of that comes the things, out of all of that worship and all of that dynamic flows this ability to enter into relationship and connection with God and the power of the Holy Spirit and all those things that flow out of us. It's because of this dynamic of worship. One man put it this way. He says, the supreme fulfillment of God's design for us is to be totally absorbed in the praise of his glory, to find our ultimate pleasure in him, and to view all of life through eyes that are filled with wonder and adoration for the one who created everything. Can you say amen to that? David put it this way. You know, David was a man, he was not a perfect man, but he was a man of worship. He was a man after God's own heart. Can you say amen? This was a man that loved God passionately. There was many flaws in his life, but many of the flaws that he had, he overcame through the dynamic of worship. And David puts it this way in Psalms 29, verse 2. It says, give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And the thing that caught me when I read that verse of scripture is this place that says, give the Lord the glory that is due him. It's due him. He earned it. He, it's, a, it's his privilege. It's his right. He, it, it's something that we need to do. But, but listen to me. This is not a God up in heaven that is an angry despot. He's not a God up in heaven that is a maniacal force that's commanding uh, the minions below to worship him. This is a father in heaven that understands the power of worship in the worshiper. He understands the benefit of worship in our lives. And he gives us the spirit of worship that we may worship him. Can you say amen? And that's the amazing thing about this. And so what worship becomes is worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, through our actions, through our thoughts, our words. And it's based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. Now listen to that. Worship is the innermost being. It's who I am at my core responding with praise for all that God is through my attitude. That is a series of sermons right there. That added, we, how many have ever had an attitude? Yeah, yeah, we all, usually when we talk about attitude, it's always in the context of bad. How many, you got an attitude? <laughs> you know, when, when your wife looks at you and says, don't give me that attitude, you, it, you better back up. How many know what I'm talking about? You, you know, or if mom comes out, or if dad goes, you know, I don't like your attitude. But you know what? Attitude is something that describes something of who we are, and it's through our attitude that we can worship him. It's through our thoughts and through our words and through our actions that we worship him. Another way to say it is that worship is to be immersed in glorifying 
God, to be wholly obsessed with the glory of God in the consuming passion of his presence. Can you say amen? That's what it is to be a worshiper. And that is the worldview of a true worshiper of God. Amen. Listen, William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury in 1940, he said these words, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. So worship is about our whole life. Can you say amen? John MacArthur, he said this, worship involves all that is inside a person responding to all that is inside of God. Listen to what I'm saying. All that we are rightly reacting to all that he is. Amen. Amen. That's a powerful way to put it. Can you say amen? I love that. See, worship is loving God. It's honoring God, but it's knowing him. It's knowing God for who he is. It's adoring him and obeying him. It's proclaiming him as the way of life. It's being immersed in all that he is. Everything that he is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, listen to this. Paul writes to the Corinthians in verse 31. He says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. What is he saying? He's saying everything you do should be done to the glory of God. Everything you do should be a reflection of the glory of God, reflection of you worshiping him. So let's see, when you're standing in line at Walmart and the checker is going really slow and somebody cuts in front of you with a lot more items than you have, how you respond in that situation should glorify God. When you're driving down the road on Stockton Hill Road and it seems like the stoplights have your number and they are timed to slow you down. A town that is less than four miles wide takes 35 minutes to get across. How you respond to that should be a worship unto the Lord. All that you do should glorify God. How you treat one another. Uh Uh-oh. Back up now. How you... I don't even know if I should do this. How you talk on Facebook. We'll leave that alone. We'll move on quickly. Should be a glory and worship to God. Can you say amen? Now, it's no accident that the longest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, is all about praising and worshiping God. That's what it's about. And since we know that in heaven... We will be ceaselessly worshiping him. We ought to be practicing it now. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, years ago, when the billionaire Howard Hughes died, his company's public relations officer asked the various casinos in Las Vegas, where Hughes owned several of them, to show him respect by giving him a minute of silence. And so for an uncomfortable 60 seconds, the casinos fell silent. Then a pit boss looked at his watch, leaned forward, and whispered, Okay, 
Roll the dice. He had his minute. I wonder, I'm just wondering, if sometimes we treat God like those gamblers in Las Vegas treated Howard Hughes. We interrupt our very, very busy schedule once a week to rush into church and give God his hour. And then we forget about him and get back to what we'd rather be doing anyway. <laughs> when I read that, I went, holy cow. Because listen, church, it's not about what we do here today. There is no doubt what we do to here today is extremely important. There's no doubt that in our worship service, in the preaching, in the giving, and all that we do here, we're doing business with God. But church, if we only limit it to one hour a week, we have sorely missed what Christianity is all about. Can you say amen? And I think sometimes what happens is we, we get caught up. And we don't do it because we're evil people. We don't, we don't do it because, because we, we don't love God. We don't do it because somewhere we're evil at heart. We, we just do it because sometimes what happens is we just get busy. I don't know about you, but my life is busy. You know, I got lots going on. I, you know, there's lots of things that I need to do. There's lots of things I want to do. There's lots of demands. There's lots of things that are happening that I need to be a part of. And I, and I need to get them done. And sometimes the easiest thing to do is to put God aside. It's just easy that way. Because he doesn't complain. You know, I've tried to put the folks that take my house payment aside, but they complain. <laughs> I've, I've tried to put other people aside. I've tried, I've tried to ignore things. But, you know, when I do it with God, he's just, God's just, he's good about that. He'll just, he'll take a back seat. He don't want to take a back seat. He understands the cost in my life of him taking a back seat. But see, what happens sometimes is we get to the point where what we do is we relegate God to the back seat. See, as Christians, church, we need to face the hard truth that in many cases we are not becoming worshipers in this generation. Rather, what we're becoming is spectators. Religious onlookers lacking in any real way, any memory or any experience of a true encounter with God. So much of what is acceptable today and is considered as worship is void of any tangible presence of God or the supernatural. God wants to be with his people. You do not have to do a very deep study into the Old Testament or the New Testament to see very clearly that God wants to be tangibly present among his people. He wants to speak to us. He wants to move in and among us. He wants to do for us what we cannot for ourselves. But because of this dynamic of becoming spectators, what we do is we show up and we wait for him to move. What you doing? Well, I'm waiting on God. You know, if God wants, if God wants this, he's going to have to make something happen. 
God said, I did show up. I made something happen. I sent my son 2,000 years ago, and he hung between heaven and earth, bleeding and naked and beaten, unrecognizable as a man, and he died for you and I, for our sins. He took our punishment. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He says, I have already responded. I'm waiting for you to respond to me. Can you say amen? I'm waiting for you. Our text says, listen, John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, he says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now listen, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So he says here, he says in our text, and, and we need to pay attention, he's seeking. God is seeking, he's desiring, he's longing, he's passionate, whatever adjective you want to put on it, he's looking for you and I to worship. And not just worship in our style, but to be a true worshiper. Now, I, what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of time and I want to kind of just methodically go through this because Jesus' words about worship in this story, they occur in the context of a much bigger story. And the context of this story begins in John chapter 4, verse 4, where Jesus is witnessing to a woman. Now, we might not think this morning that witnessing is the right context to talk about the priority of worship, but there is no doubt that Jesus thought it was the very best context. And I want you to pay attention to this, because I'm going to move through this, and I want you to just see what God's saying here. Now listen, sometimes, for you and I to hear spiritual truth, we have to get a little shock. We have to be shocked a little bit. And I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. See, if you want people to hear what you have to say, you might have to scandalize them a little bit. And Jesus was exceptionally good at this. Because if you remember in John chapter 6, verse 53, he says this, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, in other words, most assuredly means pay attention, I mean business. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. <coughs> what? Hang on, Jesus. I got to eat your flesh and drink your... Can you imagine somebody saying that now? Just, just take, take a moment. You know, we're all comfortable with it now because we've read it a thousand times in the Bible. We don't know what it means, but we've read it a lot. And, and you know, there's a lot of people that talk about it. So we're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's one of those things Jesus said. And he always said cryptic things, you know. And so we've kind of just gotten dulled to it. But can you imagine the first time he said it? It had to be shocking. I mean, he's been feeding the thousands. They've been following him. He's been healing them. And it's a great man. He's like, he's like the genie they never had. But one day, he all of a sudden gets solemn and serious. And he looks at him and he says, you know, I know you've been coming for the fishes and loaves. And I know that you've been doing all this. But if you really want to follow me, 
then you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> Hang on, Jesus. That's a little, that's a little shocking. I, I don't, and you know what happened? Thousands of them walked away that day. All that was left was the 12. And Jesus turns to the 12 and goes, are you going to go too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. This was a shocking moment. Sometimes Jesus will shock us. Can you say amen? There's another place in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. The Bible says, if anyone come to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How is that for a, a, a entrance into discipleship? Oh, by the way, here's the contract. You need to hate your mom and dad. You need to hate your family. And by the way, you need to hate yourself. Oh, and here's this pesky. You need to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Then you can be my disciple. What? Are you serious, Jesus? You want me to do what? I'm not so sure. But what is he doing? He's getting their attention. He's going, wait a second. This is way bigger than what you had first thought. See, the problem is today, we are too caught up in casual Christianity. We're too caught up into, you know, oh, just what will be, will be, and, you know, we're just going to kind of float through. And No, 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 God's far more serious about this. Can you say amen? And when Jesus goes to teach us something about worship, he uses an immoral, promiscuous woman. What? What? I thought, Jesus, you would go to the school of the prophets. Or I thought you would go to a convent somewhere where everybody's, you know, had a vow of chastity. I, I thought, you know, you would go to the pure people to find people to worship you. Jesus goes to a woman and he says to her, go call your husband. And this Samaritan woman says, I don't have an husband. And Jesus says, that's right. In fact, you've had five, and the guy you're shacked up with right now isn't even your husband. She is shocked. Now, you need to understand something. The context of this scripture is about worship. Jesus is going to teach this woman about worship. He's going to teach you and I something about worship. And it's shocking. We are shocked. Come on now. But Jesus, he's just sitting there on the edge of the well with his hands folded. He's looking at this woman with compassion and love, and he is ready to teach about worship. Now, the first thing that we learn in this story is that worship has everything to do with real life. And that's what I want you to get, church. God, the kind of worship that God's talking about is not some sort of pious, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, manufactured, holier than thou, it's real. Sometimes the worship <coughs> that will come from your spirit is going to be raw. It's going to be very human. Are you hearing me? It's not this mythical interlude once a week that's filled with ups and downs. It's worship has everything to do with broken and dysfunctional people. Worship has everything to do with a broken and fallen world. Worship has everything to do with people who are engulfed in sin and debauchery. Why? Why would that be true? Because worship, true worship, has the power, the overwhelming power to heal and to deliver 
and to restore. Worship is not about making God feel better. Worship is about me being satisfied completely and wholly in Christ. Can you say amen? I want you to think about this for a moment. We need to go back to the beginning of the story. Because in verse 4, Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. And in verse 5, we find out that he goes to a town in Samaria called Sychar. And there is Jacob's well there. And Jesus is tired, he's thirsty, he's hot, he's weary, you know, and he's sitting by the well. And then in that place, in that moment, he decides this is a good time to seek somebody to worship my father. (laughs) Man, you got to love Jesus. He says, this is a good moment to put on my worship 101 class. And he does it by doing the unthinkable. He, he teaches you and I about worship to the Father in the midst of real life through the most unlikely person. He chooses a Samaritan adulteress. Well, that's amazing. Why is that amazing? Well, the first thing is she's a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They were kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys. They, they came from the same blood, but they were at odds. They didn't like each other at all. She's a woman. And in the first century, talking to a woman other than your wife, that was a no-no. You, a rabbi didn't teach women. Not in the first century. And she's an adulteress. And she's coming to the well at the sixth hour, which is about noon. And that is a sure sign that she is an outcast in her community. For heaven's sakes, Jesus, what are you thinking? It always amazes me how that (coughs) we are so enamored with the thought that Jesus goes into the highways and byways and the gutters of the world and restores the people that are found there. But then it always amazes me how after they get saved, we put such judgment on their imperfections. How God loved us before we got saved and how much God hates us after. (laughs) What is Jesus thinking? He's thinking, I'm going to teach you about worship. And I'm going to show you the power of true worship. Not only that, I'm going to show you how to make a true worshiper. See, the Samaritans, they, these, the Samaritans were a group of people that were kind of, they were the northern Jewish kingdom that had, they were the leftovers from that northern Jewish kingdom. And they had intermarried with foreigners and, you know, they had gotten themselves all mixed up in all kinds of idolatry and this. And, and they had even gone so far as at one point to build a separate place of worship on Mount Gerizim, and they said, that's where we're going to worship God. And (coughs) they had even gone so far as to uh, uh, reject all of the Old Testament except their own version of the five books of Moses. And there was a lot of animosity towards the Jews, and it was centuries old, and they were always at odds. And Jesus walks right into this hostility and sits down and asks for a drink of water. And this woman is stunned. She is stunned. She's like blown away that he would even speak to her. And then John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And instead of asking her directly, Jesus shifts the focus, which he's really, really good at. You ever notice that God never really answers your question directly? He said, God, what do I do? And he goes, oh, you know, and he starts off on a lesson. He, you know, it's kind of like my, my dad was famous for that. I used to always say to my dad, I got to the point where I'd look at my dad and go, I don't want the lecture, I need the answer. Because my dad was a teacher. And if I said, hey, dad, what's five times three? He would want to tell me how to do times tables. I just needed 15. How many know what I'm talking about? And, and that's kind of like God, because God is a good father. And so Jesus is here, and so she starts this conversation by saying, I'm amazed that you're even talking to me. And Jesus changes the focus, and he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me or asked him, and he would have given you water. The amazing thing is this is not that he asked her for a drink, but she didn't ask him. After that exchange, he has living water. He, he says, this is from God. It's a gift of God. But she doesn't get it because in verse 11, she says, how can you give me water when you don't have a bucket? <laughs> she's, just, she's just not on Jesus' wavelength yet, is she? She's not, she's not quite getting it yet. Isn't that like us? We just don't always get it, do we? It's like Jesus talking about living water and we're looking for the well. So where's the faucet? Where's the... Well, there ain't no water in here. That's what's happening. So Jesus engages her again, and he says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The thing that she and we should understand here is not that he can give her water without a bucket, but that his water satisfies forever. <clears throat> so in the midst of this lesson on worship, Jesus begins to identify the very critical need in her life is that she was living empty. She was unsatisfied. That she was going to a well that would never, ever satisfy. She could go there as long as she wanted. She could drink as much as she wanted, but it would never quench her thirst. And this is what Jesus is beginning to real, reveal in this lesson on worship. But he goes even deeper. He says, but when you drink this water, not only will it satisfy you, it will become a spring in your soul. Because this water is miracle water. It buries itself in the sandy soil of your soul and bubbles up a spring of life within you. The water that Jesus gives becomes a well that flows from you. Listen to what I'm saying. Jesus is talking to her. He's going to teach her. He's teaching her about worship. He understands that she's empty and unsatisfied, that she's undone. He identifies the need in her, and he says, I have water that will never let you go thirsty again. I have something that will satisfy you. In fact, not only will it satisfy you, if you drink this, you will literally become the well of this water too. The closest parallel to this image is found in John 7, 37 and 39. 
It says, on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried aloud, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. So when Jesus gives water, he's giving the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So Jesus, in this lesson on worship, is speaking to this woman's greatest need, and he's saying, you know what? What you need is, a, is the Holy Spirit. You need my word, and you need my Holy Spirit, and the presence of God's Spirit in your life will take away that frustrating, soul-thirsty thing inside of you, and it will turn you into a fountain of life. Isn't that powerful? Do you see what he's doing here? See, the water that was offered to this Samaritan woman was really the power of the word and the power of his spirit. And he is teaching her that the greatest way to be satisfied is in the context of worship. And you're going to see this here in just a minute because he's going to turn this. He's, he's going to take her right where she wants to be and where he wants her to be. Again, the woman, she's missing the point because she's trying to understand this with her five senses she's trying to understand this through her eyes her ears her nose she's trying to see feel taste hear what he's saying but it can't get done because our five senses are not adequate to make this kind of judgment so jesus <coughs> gets to the heart of the matter and in verse 16 he says to her go call your husband to come here one man said this, he said, the quickest way to the heart is through a wound. And Jesus begins to strip this woman down into her inner life, and he begins to pull her into exposure, and he does this for a reason. And he says this, he tells us because if we don't expose that sin, if we don't put it in the light of day, it will always influence our lives and destroy us from within. Are you hearing what I'm saying? John chapter 3, verse 20 says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. See, concealed sin keeps us from seeing this truth. It's like spiritual leprosy. Are you hearing me? It deadens your spiritual senses. So when it rips your soul apart, you don't feel it. But Jesus lays bare her spiritual leprosy. He says, you have five husbands. And the guy you're with now is not even your husband. And she does what's amazing. I, I love this story because she has this universal reflex of a person that's trying to avoid conviction. She has to admit that he's pretty extraordinary. And she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's verse 19. Then in verse 20, watch what she does. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. What's your position on this, Jesus? Isn't that amazing? This is amazing to me. Have you ever watched people who try to get out of conviction? Man, they'll chew their own leg off to get to escape. And, and in this case, this, this woman is going to actually take her mind and, and she's going to come up with an accommodating theology to escape. What's she trying to do? She goes, I got to get away from this guy. This guy's looking right into my life. Now remember, this is all in the context of worship. That's what worship does. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
She's, you got to think about this. She looks at it and goes, yeah, as long as we're talking about my adultery, what is your position on where people should worship? <laughs> that is so funny to me. I look at that and I think, holy cow. This is the standard evasive double talk that everybody does. But Jesus is not so easily eluded, is he? He doesn't give up. He stays on the path with her. But you know what the funny thing is? Jesus never goes back to the issue of adultery. He never does. Jesus doesn't spend <coughs> lots of time bringing. So you know what, church? Let me, this is a sideline. If you're being condemned over and over again, you can guarantee that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to condemn you. He brings conviction. And then he moves on. He moves on into the answer. He will spotlight the problem. And then he says, now let me take you to the solution. That's what he does. See, most of the time when people come to me, and they say, well, I think God's mad at me. Or I don't know if I'm going to make heaven home. Or, or I, I, you know what, I'm so horrible. I'm this. That's the devil. That's hell. What Jesus does is he, he pinpoints the problem and says, now let's move from there into the solution. The thing is, she thinks she's getting out of it. She thinks, oh, now I'm going to get him talking about worship. Well, that's where he wanted to go anyway. <laughs> that's exactly where he wanted to go. And, and, and so she brings up this controversy. She says, my family says we should worship this way. Your family says this. What's the right thing? And Jesus is a master at dividing, isn't he? He's a master at splitting hairs. He, he, could, he could go, look at. let me just show you the truth. He says, there's a day coming, and it is right now, where people won't worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He says, you know what, there's a day coming when people are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. And he says, and that's really what my father is looking for. He looks at her and he says, you want an answer for your life? You want an answer for that which is unsatisfying, that guilt and that condemnation? You want an answer for the, the void that is in your heart that drives you to men over and over and over again? You want an answer to the abuse and the neglect and the dysfunction of your life? It's going to be found in the well of worship, worshiping my father as a true worshiper. And he shows her how to worship the father in spirit and in truth. And it is so penetrating, so powerful that she leaves that scene and she goes back to the village that she's an outcast in and she says to those villagers, Come meet a man. Come meet a prophet that told me all of my life. He's amazing. He has satisfied my life like no one else. And it's all based in the context of worship. And you know what happens? The whole village comes and gets saved. That's the power of worship. Can you say amen? You know what, church? We spend so much time doing things. We spend so much time with programs and, and, and policies and structure and dynamics and all of these things. God says, worship me. There's a verse of scripture that says, if, if Jesus be lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men unto him. Now, we know that was talking about his crucifixion, but there is also truth in the fact that if we lift the name of Jesus, he will draw all men to it. Church, we're here today. 
and we are not the most likely people to to host the, the, the revival that God wants to bring to Kingman. But let me tell you something. If we will worship him and get away from the programs and the pre-planned things, if we'll just be the Christians God called us to be, if we'll just stand up and love Jesus as he truly is for what he's really done, if we'll make him the center of our life, then you know what? He will bring that revival over and over and over. He'll change our lives. He will cause water to flow into our life that we will never thirst Again, can you say amen? That's what this scripture is about, church. That's what this story is about. We've spent some time on worship. We've looked at that. We've, we've spent time. And, we, and here's the thing, church. We need to fall passionately in love with him again. We need to forget about what people think. We need to, we, we need to go, you know what? I don't care what people think. I'm going to worship him. I love him. I love him. I want people to know I love him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want people to know that he's my God and that he is at in residence in my heart. I want to worship him in all that I do. I want to glorify him in every way. Oh, church, this story is so amazing. I, I don't know that I've done it justice, but I know this. I know that this woman had an encounter with a living God, and what he taught her was worship. He said, you know what? I'm going to put something inside of you that's going to flow out of you like a river. And he says, and my father is seeking such, just like that, that worship. Worship. There's something when you meet a person, and I, I'm bringing this to a close. There's something about meeting a person that truly worships God. If you ever, if when, when you meet somebody that's just passionately, wholeheartedly, you, there's such a gentleness and a kindness about them. They seem to roll with the punches of life. It's not that they can't get hurt or disappointed or frustrated. It's not that they can't have a bad day. They often do. But they simply just roll with it. Because their life is not about their day. Their bad day doesn't define them. What they do is they continually hide themselves in worship. I had an experience just recently. It was a particularly difficult moment. It was a bad day. Lots of things going on. Begin to work against my spirit. Hell begin to rage, thoughts and accusations, all kinds of things coming against me. And it was about 9.30 at night, and I was, I was just beside myself. I was pacing in my bedroom, didn't know what to do. And the Lord just quickened to me. He says, you need to go worship me. So I told my wife, I said, I'm, I'm going to go for a drive. <coughs> Got in my car, came down to church. And I just came in here, turned the lights on real low, and I just began to worship his name. I just began to worship him. My flesh wanted to get angry and bitter. My flesh wanted to complain and gripe. My flesh wanted to do what flesh does. But I heard that still small voice, and I came and I, I even said to God, I said, well, 
I guess I should thank you for the opportunity to practice what I preach. He chuckled. And I just began to worship God, and I spent about an hour just worshiping him, and I felt his presence, and I felt a peace. I really did. I felt a peace, and I, I actually felt like there was a page that was turned. I felt like God said, you got an A on the test. Because my response was not out of my humanity. My response was out of his glory. I said, you know what, I worship you, God. I can't fix this problem. It ain't my problem to fix. But I can worship you, and I can love you. And I felt his gentle caress. I felt his goodness come and minister to me. And, you know, even to this moment, I, you know, I, I'll be, be driving down the road, and I'll just kind of feel things stirring, and then I'll just start immediately. I'm, just, I'm training myself. Now when I feel that, to immediately just begin to open my mouth and say, God, I worship you. I love you. I praise you. There's something about that that just pushes back the forces of darkness. I'll be standing in the shower, and I'll be feeling that still, small voice. Talk to me. I'll just talk to him out in the shower. Or I'll be in my car. Or I'll be at church or wherever I'm at, and I'll just, just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Sometimes it's just five seconds. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. But I'm learning to do that, to become sensitive to that. And that is revolutionizing, learning to worship him in all that I do. And it's changing how I respond. Now my response to give glory. I'm not perfect. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that I don't stumble. I do stumble. But God's not mad at us because we stumble. God has never had a problem with the struggle. In fact, he said, in this life you shall have tribulation. You're going to have times where it's tough. Jesus had times where it was tough. There was moments where he's tempted and tested just like us. He had bad days. And he had to face what we face. But he always went back to the Father. He always gloried in the Father. He always worshipped. <clears throat> he went back to the Father. And it was from that dynamic that he could come walking on the water. And that he could calm the sea. Why? Because peace was in him. You know, the reason a lot of things don't happen when we speak is because it's not in us to begin with. Church, I'm telling you, worship. Worship. The good news is that he actually gives us the spirit of worship. It's his Holy Spirit. Some have looked at that verse of Scripture where it says true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And they've said that's, well, man's spirit. Others have said it's the Holy Spirit. I, I think it's both. I think it's man's spirit in line with the Holy Spirit worshiping the Father in what they know about Him. Church, it's an interesting fact that when you worship Him, you'll see Him differently every time learn more and more about him as you worship him your truth will be deepened and in turn 
the spirit is deepened. It's a wonderful cycle. So often we're caught up in the cycles of destruction. I want to be caught up in the cycle of life. I want that river flowing at the highest volume. I want it to be able to penetrate the brokenness of this world. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, for the revelation of your word. We thank you that you have helped us, that you have made a way for us. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to our lives, that you've equipped us. And Father, that you've given us that fulfillment. You've showed us that we could be completely satisfied, content in every way. Content, not with what we have, but who you are in us. Content, Lord, that we are safe and secure in you. And I pray today for every family, every home, every marriage, every individual in this place, God, that you would pour your power upon them, your hand. Father, that the power of worship would become very real in their life. Lord, that we would be compelled and reminded throughout the day, every day, to worship your name, to lift you up, to magnify you. Lord, that we might be a river of life. Lord, that that well, that wellspring of water that never runs dry, that will always quench every thirst, God would be flowing from us. And I thank you for it. I wonder as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I've listened to you and I'm not sure I understand all that you're saying. But I know that I need Jesus. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I see that hand. Someone else, you can put it up and put it down. Amen. I see that hand. Yes, thank you. Someone else. Someone else, you want to raise your hand. Amen. I see that hand. You can put it down. Someone else. Just respond to him. Say, you know what, Jesus, I need you. I need you. That's what the woman at the well did. She responded to him. And he was gracious. There was enough to hold her accountable for a lot of things, but he just gave her life. He just spoke love to her. He didn't condemn her. He just showed her how to worship. And it changed everything. Would you pray this prayer with me? In fact, all of us, let's pray. Father, we come before you. And we ask you to forgive us of our sins. To be our Lord and our Savior. We accept you. And we give you our life. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our our ministry team is coming. Our prayer team is coming. Before you get moving, let me say this to you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or 101st time, it don't matter. Or if you still haven't prayed it, but you say, is it too late for me? It's never too late. Or if you have a need of any kind, you want prayer, you want people to join with you, link faith with you and believe God these are the folks this prayer team we we do this because we want every opportunity to pray for you 
we want to be able to minister to you. So if you would like prayer or if you got saved, come on up, let them know, tell them. Or if you need salvation, come on up, let them know. Why don't we stand to our feet all across this place? We're going to release you today. We love you. You are a great church. You need to be proud of yourself. You're a good people. We're going to let you go. You have a great Sunday afternoon. And remember today, find some time to worship him. God bless you.